Hello and welcome to Groove Therapy, a podcast that explores the effects of live music on our brains, bodies, and our lives and provides a space for you, our listener, to learn about how you can bring the magic of live music into your everyday life. My name is Dr. Leah Taylor and I am joined here with my fabulous co-host Tara Lee Weathers. Hi, that's me. (laughs) Yay. We are back here with another fabulous episode of Groove Therapy. It's so exciting. I just love recording these so much. I do too. And our guest this time is like, she was so interesting. Like I could just listen to her talk about her craft forever because it's obviously what she was meant to do and like it's just like in- infectious and it inspired me to be like oh like I want to dive into to like some of these things even more too just by the way that she was talking about things. Yes. Well, before we get to our guest, I want to ask you, Tara Lee, what do you have going on that you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, I have a really cool program that I'm up to. So, I just have a question. Who here has stopped and started multiple different business ideas because they have so many different ideas and passions? If you were to take all of your gifts and talents, got guidance on how to put them together cohesively to create an amazing offering, and this could be a product or a service, receive support and accountability to remain focused, you would start to make money doing what you love. And not doing that, getting the clarity to put it all together so you can master this one thing is one of the biggest mistakes that I see entrepreneurs make. I know I personally have made this mistake over and over and over again. And once I got the support to stay focused, then I was I was able to find true success and made money doing something that I love. So if this speaks to you, it's time to get laser beamed focused. So if I were to take a look at all your gifts and talents and show you how you could easily make money from it every single month, would that be something that you would be interested? And if it is, I would love to hear from you. And so you can go to my Instagram. It is at rocking life with two underscores. So you can pick up your phone right now, pause the podcast, go to rocking life two underscores and send me a DM with the word magic and I will reach out and schedule a call with you to talk all about it. Yay. Yes. My, my <laughs> mind was a resounding yes. That is something that I would be interested in. So I'm sure <laughs> that there are other people out there too. Yeah, it's like it's very easy to get distracted by all the shiny things and the shiny new thing and kind of bounce from business to business or idea to idea and then never have anything really come to fruition or have like moderate success with a lot of things. But if you go all in, like I'm really good at helping people to stay all in and be focused, you know, the world is your oyster from there. So that's what I'm up to. And I want to know what you're up to, Dr. Leah Taylor. Yeah. Well, before I say that, I just want to say that this podcast episode is also going to be a great inspiration for going all in on the one thing. So stay tuned for that. Yes, we're getting so many teasers. (laughs) (laughs) It's so true, though. Yeah. So uh, for myself, I am working on a new website, drleataylor.com, which hopefully next month in March will be ready to go. But right now I'm still at embodiedgroove.com. I'm getting really 
into writing either a blog post or talking about this podcast every week. So I'd love for you to sign up for my newsletter so that I can stay in touch with you. You can do that at embodiedgroove.com. And right now, if you do that, I have a guided meditation that I will send to you that will help you to feel the ways that you want to feel instead of all of the ways that our mind makes us think that we want to feel or the outside influences make us want to feel. So I want to help you get strategic in that. And this guided meditation is all about that. Also, I'm leading Embodied Groove classes online again every other Saturday. You can find out when I'm doing that on embodiedgroove.com too. But it's every other Saturday morning on Deadheadland on Facebook. And you can join the party at Embodied Groove page on Facebook too and also Dr. Leah Taylor page on Facebook and Instagram. Wonderful. And you, everybody, definitely sign up for her newsletter because Dr. Leah's guided meditations are amazing and they're worth a billion dollars and you get it for free. So you're pretty lucky. I do love doing them. It's a joy for me. Yeah, I can tell. It's just like, a li- oh, I almost said her name. But I know <laughs> you're about to tell us her name and who she is, but That sounds like how this person feels about her craft that you will now tell us about. Absolutely. I was thinking the same thing. So drum roll, please. Our guest for the podcast today is Elizabeth Beck, who is a writer and an artist and a teacher who lives with her family in Lexington, Kentucky. And she is the author of Summer Tour, as well as her new book, which is World Gone Mad, that just released last month in February. And it is now available to you. And as far as I know, this is really, well, these are definitely Elizabeth's first works of fiction. She does have some poetry books that she's written previously, but this was her first foray into fiction. And oh my gosh, I like this is exactly what she should be doing. You guys should hear her in this interview talk about her characters and just like how, you know, I hear about writers and how, you know, the characters come alive and they are their own people. But like to hear Elizabeth talking about it was so cool and so inspiring and it really she's just this is exactly what she should be doing is writing these works of fiction right i haven't read the books yet and i'm so excited that like i'm going to order them today and dive into them but just from hearing her talk about the characters like sam and claire i'm like they're my besties and aunt karen is like this amazing woman that i just like worship and follow around and Like, I just feel so connected to the characters, and I haven't even read the book yet. It was just from hearing her talk about it and the process. Like, she knows their birthdays, what their favorite food is, like, what scares them. And she she knows, like, all these things. Like, she's so intimate with these characters, which is why, like, I'm sure in the book it's, like, that, that comes off so clearly, which you would know because you've read it already. Yes, it's true. I was reading it, and at the end, I was literally crying, and it was just, like... I don't know, it just kind of brought everything home and it it tickles all of those feels just like the live music experience does. And it just, I could see myself in all of those characters, like a different aspect of myself. And that's when you know that it's a really good book, that like you can really feel yourself and see yourself in different characters and feel what they're feeling and have those hearts, heartstrings strung by the words on the book. And to have it set 
as part of our scene that we know and love so much. So they go on summer fish tour and it's set in 2019, which is actually pretty cool because I, what did I see? I don't know what fish shows I saw in 2019. I guess I just saw Dick's in 2019, yeah, uh, which I wasn't part of the book, it. but yeah. That was my you? first time vending. I vended in Camden and Thanks back. I've ended a couple of places. So she talks about like, and who was the, who was selling what? And I was like, me, me, I was selling stuff that year. <laughs> so my friend Tailfeather, uh, my friend Kari from Tailfeather store in Burlington. And um, I was selling my books and we just had so much fun doing that. Except when yeah. we were in the crazy storm in Camden. That was crazy. Like, <laughs> okay, well, that's in <laughs> yeah. the book. Yes. Oh, it is? Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. I definitely almost died. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, that is not good. But it was, still a, fun, it was still a fun experience, but it was one of the craziest ones. There was like a microburst storm that came through. So uh, that's so cool that that's in the book so I can mm-hmm. relive it from her. Yeah. And you all definitely need to listen to this interview because she tells this the most amazing story. And I don't want to give anything away, but it has to do with Trey. And that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> yes. So stay tuned for Elizabeth Beck coming up right now. We'll be right back. All right, and we are back here with Elizabeth Beck. Elizabeth, thank you so much for coming to spend some time with us here on the Groove Therapy Podcast. Welcome. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here with you women. Yeah, it is. It's so lovely. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. As many of you may know, and Tara Lee and Ari already said that Elizabeth has written two books now about uh, really fictional books, but based upon uh, real things. Actually, I know real life people and places, um, but also I know you did a lot of research when you were writing the book to really make it as real as possible. And I can definitely say as a reader, it I was just laughing at some of the things, in particular in uh, summer tour, the bathroom scene. <laughs> 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 I can't remember who the character was. I think it might have been Sam. And uh, he was just standing there and people were lining up behind him. And <laughs> And it was like, there wasn't actually a line there that made me laugh so hard because I'm pretty sure that same thing has happened to me before, whether I was the one lining up behind somebody or the person starting the imaginary line. But like, it was just so fun to have, to be reminded of all of these amazing experiences that I've had and other people have had. And I know that that's such a, a big aspect of your book and such a a great resource for our scene in general, because I think we need more fiction that we can read and and see ourselves in. Thank you. I'm glad you said that. Um, I think it's important in our community that we have literature, poetry, fiction, creative nonfiction, and memoir. Uh, When we talk about what makes community, it's not just the, the music and the camaraderie. It's also the foods. And in the literature that we read, and I'm excited to be able to lend my voice to that conversation. And as you know, I was inspired by Peter Connors, who wrote Growing Up Dead, and that was a memoir, and it's about the Grateful Dead. It just celebrated that culture, and I had the manuscript for Summer Tour written as a rough draft, and then I read Peter's book, and it was a revelation, uh, a moment for me where I just knew what I needed to do. So in the original manuscript, there was one fish show. So the story was intact that 
Sam was moved out of his prep school into Maywood, Ohio, and meets this new, you know, group of kids. But in the original manuscript, it was it was one, you know, kind of a magical show. I, you know, I just grabbed a bunch of experiences from my own life. So, for example, when you talked about the bathroom scene, that actually was my experience at a Grateful Dead show in Deer Creek in the early 90s, I think. And I just, <laughs> I honestly was confused. I was, you know, I, I, they were lining up. I did, I lost my man. I kept waiting and people kept coming out and he didn't come out. And then I didn't know where he went. So I knew I wanted to, you know, grab some of those things, but then to lift it up and set it specifically on summer tour 2019 was an opportunity to celebrate our culture and to steep it, kind of taking a snapshot, if you will, of who was on the lot and what they were doing and what they were making, creating and doing at that particular time period, just to kind of capture it. So what is that, a 3.0 perspective from a 1.0 chick while we're waiting <laughs> for the 4.0 to launch, right. <laughs> if you will. <laughs> yeah, so many layers within all of those experiences. I know, I miss the bathroom line so much, even pretending to be on, or not pretending, but thinking I'm on a, on a line and I'm not actually on a line. Like I just miss <laughs> all of that so much. And I'm so looking forward to to reading your book and being like immersed in that again and like all the experiences. And like you said, who's on lot and what are they making? And it's just, it's so wonderful because when people aren't on tour or like now when that isn't something that exists, people can just go to your book and be like immersed in it and feel like it's real and happening right now because it is in their imagination. Right. Yeah. And and then that was the impetus to go ahead and launch it in June when the tours or when the shows got canceled. I, I didn't intend to publish it this way, but I felt like it was a response to what was going on. And there were, you know, there was a hole in, in my existence. I'm holding on to tickets, <laughs> you know, and waiting. You know, one of the things I did in the next book, World Gone Mad, was I took an opportunity to juxtapose what it looks like maybe in a different kind of scene. So when I went to Madison Square Garden for New Year's Eve 2019-2020, I left my drawstring sequence bag on the concession table. We were on the floor, so we had exited out and went to get waters, and I left my bag there. And then I went back, and it was still there, and it was intact, and everything was in it. So I used that little nugget as an opportunity when I was writing World Gone Mad for Claire, and she leaves her bag behind, but she also has another bag incident that happened at the Bourbon and Beyond Festival in Louisville, Kentucky, where Trey Anastasio band played. So it was my husband and I drove. We live here in Kentucky, so it was easy for us to drive. And it was definitely not a Grateful Dead show or a fish show or any one of our jam band genre shows. It was a completely different environment. So I, I kind of used opportunity and I think I hope it then highlights the the trust and the community that we have, you know, in our world. Yeah, it is true. Yeah. I look forward to reading that, to seeing the difference in that and uh to being able to experience that through your words. Well, and I mean, make no mistake, it's a fairy tale, but I set it up as a fairy tale, right? We have the gingerbread house. That's the Calico house. You have, you know, your, your guiding spirit in Aunt Karen. You you have, you know, mischief, mischief happening and chaos and confusion and all of the elements. So, you know, if I romanticized our scene, yeah, I did. I, I own it. 
I'll go for the romantic genre, the fairy tale existence. And, you know, <laughs> I appreciate that too, as I do have um, older readers who've not heard of fish and <laughs> they're deciding to queue up. Oh, God love them. We've got 75, 80 year olds trying to go through the fish archives unguided. Uh, and I'm always like, stop, stop. So, you know, it was uh, kind of a joke. Maybe I should have put like barcodes or something, you know, to guide them to like a particular song so they don't get terribly lost uh, <laughs> in the grind that we love of making fish evil again, right? No. <laughs> Kidding. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it may be a fairy tale, but but you really do dive into some deeper topics. And that's what I'd love for us to be able to dive into today. Because, you know, for so many people the that have been through trauma in their lives, you know, and all of us have experienced trauma. And certainly after this year, I know that we can hopefully realize that. But the live music experience is a time where whether whether we're ready for it or not, it kind of comes out and it allows us maybe an opportunity to process some of it or to at least be right there with it. But I'd love to hear your thoughts about incorporating that into your literature. Uh, You know, the kids call it clearing cobwebs. And I do too, you know, spiritually, psychedelically, musically. I think that, you know, the opportunity to discuss how music can be healing, how going to a show can be communicating with your whole journey and your authentic experiences and being in a safe place mentally because of your set and setting and able to engage in that way in a a live musical performance, I think is, is, is very unique. So in summer tour, Sam is dealing with the grief of losing his mother. And he has also been very, very isolated the previous three years before the novel opens. His father's response was to send Sam to boarding school. And I was very interested in lifting a character up out of the status quo environment and throwing him into an, a Wizard of Oz situation. What would happen? What would that character do? What would, you know, what kind of growth would he experience? And I, I know my personal healing journey was very dependent upon finding the Grateful Dead at the age of 18 and then Fish thereafter by 1992. And I even gave birth to Fish, <laughs> 26 hours of labor to nonstop Fish because I knew I could that it would engage my mind and it would be a place where I could go of comfort and, and be able to make it through. And that was in the year 2000. So my, my poor sweet husband was cobbling together DVDs or what are those CDs? CDs, remember those discs? <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> and like putting them in one after the other for, for me to, um, you know, have. But um, I'd like to read a, a little passage, talk about from World Gone Mad to talk about how, you know, music can be a healing instrument not just going to shows, but this was streaming the Dick's Run. So we've got the children come out of summer tour and it's August of 2019 and it happens to be their senior year. So they're the graduating class of 2020. So I had no idea, obviously, when I wrote this that 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 was going to happen, but it worked out great. So they stream the Dick's shows because they're back in school and Claire is separated from Sam. And this novel really gets into Claire's battling of her own depression, something that we weren't privy to in summer tour. And, and this is what it says here. After seeing a dozen shows this summer, 
Claire was confident this music would be the soundtrack for her life. She would always listen to new music, like her obsession with Billie Eilish, but her heart would remain true for Fish, especially when she needed solace or inspiration. Not to mention, it is the only music complicated enough to contain all her mental attention. Life could be so chaotic, only a Fish show could completely distract Claire, for which she was grateful. No space for worrying about college, FAFSA, and the Common App. No room to think about the next art project, but nothing could erase her intense longing for Sam, so she was delighted when he called just as Fish launched into the wedge, which segued into Slave to the Traffic Light. Of course, it was nothing like actually being together at a show, but it was the best they had for now. And I wanted to share that one because that sentence, that phrase there when she says that Fish is the only music complicated enough to contain her all of her mental attention. I find myself drifting off and I, you know, my brain runs on a million tracks at once as many, many people do. But, you know, you get into that intricate improvisation that is the jams of fish. There's no room for anything else. I mean, and that isn't that what we try to achieve in yoga meditative practices, right? For that, that empty emptiness of all other clutter, and then having that that clear vision. I discussed a little bit how Ram Das moved away from psychedelic experiences into the meditative experience because he didn't want to come down anymore, right? And I think anybody who's, you know, dabbled in psychedelics understands that experience of not wanting to come down. So to achieve that space of bliss or peace or mental clarity through organic means of music and meditation then I guess let's just stay higher longer. And we're all about that, right? (laughs) I don't know. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, we were talking about this before we started this interview, but I've been jumping in the lake every day, ice cold Lake Champlain, that's 30 degrees. And when you're (laughs) in the water, you can't think of anything else at all, except the experience that you're in. Um, And it's actually very peaceful and calming. And I feel so high. And I was, I was saying that I like needed that now because I'm not getting that from the live music experience right now. And that is like one mm-hmm. of the huge benefits that I get from – there are so many, but that's one of them. And you explain that so beautifully there. And it's like, yeah, we want to like stay high. So it's like we want to go to like all the fish shows and like all the live music right. all the time <laughs> and why we spend all our time and money experiencing it. Well, that's why the Beacon Shows were such a gift that Trey gave us, um, and it was incredible. And, and it was so much fun in the community, too, wondering every week, what's going to happen this week, and who's it going to bring out, and da 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 And mm-hmm. those orchestral pieces did it for me. And I do know that he had planned to do symphonic pieces at Tanglewood, and I think I read an interview where he took opportunity with the Beacon Shows then to be able to perform those pieces as he had composed them, and what a gift to us. But for for my exercise, I try to do my three and a half miles a day. And if I'm not walking with my husband and my dogs, I, I mean, I'm plugged right into a show. And, you know, there's certain songs that, you know, that are, you just know, take you there, you know, but this was, this is not unusual for older fans. I'm thinking distinctly when my baby was born, it was the year 2001. And uh, there was no fish. You know, I was busy. There was they, what they broke up, or they went on break, or something happened, and I was stuck alone up in Rockford, Illinois. Which I love Rockford, Illinois. I just didn't know anybody, and I had a little kid. But you know, I I know listening to that music, and then 
remember when they did the Hampton Fluffhead, mm-hmm. when they all came back and, and, and just Trey's laughter. Yes. I mean, even all these years later, it does it for me. Like, yeah. yeah, it just gets me in the solar plexus right there. And, you know, I know I'm a crazy fan, Trey, I am, but I'm madly in love with you. Um, You know, <laughs> not romantically, just, you know, esoterically. And I just adore him. So I busted a move and um, went on stage in Dayton, Ohio, this this fall, terribly, I just walked right up on stage. He was doing his encore and he was taking his bows and I waited way off the wings, way off the wings, but girls, there was no security. Like nobody hassled me. Nobody bothered me. Then I was dying to give him my books of poetry. And I wrote him this really long, heartfelt, you know, love letter about how much fish has healed my heart. And, um, and I, and I slipped it into my books of poetry and then I wrapped it in a little grow grain ribbon. And so I got up on the stage and I was terrified and he's taking his bows and doing his trades and, you know, he's like grinning and, you know, they, they always act like they're talking to people, which maybe they are. I don't know. I'm never in the front row. And then all of a sudden he saw me and I froze and he froze and then he gave me the big grin. And I don't know why this story gets me every time. I don't know why. I would be dazzled. He has such good manners, but he does. And he came right up and he like shook my hand. And I I just, I froze and I was like, thank you, Trey. That's it. And I just shook his hand and then got my ass right off that stage. (laughs) I was just like, so, so excited. So I, I busted a move when I wrote the first draft of Summer Tour. It was about eight years ago when I was studying with a gentleman named Gurney Norman. And he had written a book called Divine Rights Trip. And it was the journey of uh, this character, Divine Wright, coming from Palo Alto, California, back to Kentucky, kind of doing the opposite of the going out west. They were coming back. And Gurney tells a famous story about how he was, you know, uh, really upset. And he ran into Ed McClanahan's office and said, I don't know how I'm going to get Estelle back to Kentucky. I need to get Estelle back to Kentucky. And then all of a sudden, Gurney goes, I got it. I got it. And he actually inserted himself in the novel. So like all of a sudden now Gurney Norman, the author, is a character in the novel trying to get Estelle back for the wedding, blah, blah, blah. blah. So I did the same thing in World Gone Mad. I wrote the scene. So Taylor and her, um, Taylor goes to the show uh, at the Victoria Theater in Dayton and sees a woman in a red kimono get on stage and hand tray her book of poetry. <laughs> that's amazing. And that's my nod to Gurney Norman, um, you know, to give a little shout out to him. Those old beat poets, you know, they hung out in Palo Alto in the 60s and 70s with uh, those bands called um, the Warlocks and, you know, those dudes called Hewitt and Packard and hanging out at the good whole earth catalog people. <laughs> Just like great stories, really great stories. So those dudes live here in Lexington, Kentucky and have been really supportive and wonderful to me. Uh, they call me the second generation hippie, which is hilarious. Because <laughs> uh, in the fish world, I think I'm an elder. <laughs> so. All right. That is like the most amazing story. And my day is better now that I've heard that story. <laughs> so thank you. And I'm going to think right. about that like a lot. You're so oh, amazing. Good. And I love the reasoning <laughs> behind it. Or not the reasoning, but like how you put it back in your book and that it was a nod to your teacher. It's so cool. Yeah. Well, and, you know, dealing with the, the, the trauma and, you know, the psychological aspects of these characters, World Gone Mad was the big opportunity for me to delve deeper. So the big vehicle of summer tour is the tour and the shows. And I had these characters hit 12 shows. So, I mean, it was, you know, it was paced. And in my writing practice, too, it was that scene based. 
so I would, I had it kind of mapped out and I, you know, I had, uh, you know, tons of notes like this, you know, and I had it all from this in, I, I was checking out all the miles. Okay. From this mile to this, how are they going to get from here to here? Cause you know, they're kids too. And, and so I didn't have opportunity to really get into their psyches, particularly also, if you'll notice summer tourists told in first person perspective from Sam. So it's, I did this, I did that. World Gone Mad is told in third person. And I have opportunity then to follow Chris and go where he's going. And particularly, like I said, Claire, our little hero uh, fighting depression. We find out very early, it's not a spoiler, and World Gone Mad that she was depressed before she met Sam. Uh, She uh, had a, a boyfriend named Michael Preston her freshman year in high school, and he was not a good dude at all. And she got so depressed that she ended up spending some time in a treatment center and, and you know, had a little anorexia as well. And, uh, you know, and then through her work of art, creating those installment pieces that I detail in the book, which was a lot of fun for me as a previous art major in college to be able to make up art in my head for Claire to make. Then, you know, she is recovering, but depression is a journey. It's not an episode. And so even though she was getting stronger and working her tools, well, then she got the uh, jump into the freezing lake terribly high by meeting Sam and jumping on tour. So, you know, she goes all the way up here. I mean, they're madly in love. It is the romance of all time is Sam and Claire. We just, we love them. Well, when he goes back to boarding school, what do you think happens to Claire? She plummets (laughs) right away. And I I had some people in our community reach out and thank me for writing about that. People who we maybe perceive in the community as very glittery, right? And very, very always on. And in all actuality, I've also dealt with depression. And I think that even the strongest people through the pandemic have had to deal with battling, you know, feeling isolated because we are, it's not just a feeling, it's a reality, and being depressed and having anxiety. And I was able to kind of funnel all that into what Claire is going through. And so I think people can gain more insight into these characters as more actualized beings in the second book. Yeah, that's really beautiful that you were able to give them depth and uh, yeah, and allow us as readers to just get to know them a little bit more and, and all sides of them, not just the the happy, high fun, loving, you know, carefree-ness of being on summer tour. Well, and in summer tour, Claire quotes Walt Whitman and says, do I contradict myself? Yes, I am large. I contain multitudes. And I've noticed that was a huge theme in World Gone Mad. These characters kept contradicting themselves. They'd say one thing and then do another. And I just let them be big, beautiful messes. They, they do stuff that's unseemly. They make mistakes. They're kids. You know, they screw up bad. And I let them do it. You know, and I'll be honest with you, I was finishing summer tour, uh, flew to New York for New Year's Eve, so I knew how to finish the novel, and then finished it last January. The very next day, I opened up another Word document and immediately started World Gone Mad because I wasn't done with the kids either. Mm -hmm. I, I was a teacher for 25 years, and these characters are as real to me as any student. They could literally walk up on me right now and I would I would know them and, uh, you know, they're very pushy. I was writing summer tour while I was working full time as a teacher at a public school. My son had just left for college. So um, I was finding myself going to bed at eight or nine o'clock at night, waking up at midnight, writing until three or four in the morning, 
getting a cat nap, getting back up, and then going and teaching 40, 50 hours a week. And I was a drama teacher, so I was also putting on plays and performances and stuff with these kids. But, you know, if I didn't wake up, I dreamt about them, or they'd knock on the door. They're pushy. They are, you, if you, entirely, you got to meet these kids. They're pushy. <laughs> they <don't laughs> yeah. around. But World Gone Mad has a tragedy that occurs, and the kids have to deal with the tragedy. And I, I haven't given really a spoiler at all in any interview, but about midway through, the, the book takes a, a dramatic turn and into darkness. And, you know, that was, that was something that was, that I worked out, my, my own trauma. My son was a senior in high school and his, one of his friends killed the uh, two brothers, the other two friends. And my son was a heartbeat away from being in that car. And then, so there was a tragic car accident that happens and we're all gone mad. And it was, it was, you know, my therapy tool to, to write the story and kind of work it out emotionally in that and work through that trauma of that loss. So then, you know, get, to, get a little darkness because, you know, it makes the brighter even better. So got to do the balance. The last issue I, I would like to discuss, you know, just a little bit in World Gone Mad is Taylor, the character Taylor, who's a poet. She also happens to be the only black character in Summer Tour. I deal with uh, some of the issues when Alex meets Willow and uh, there's some conflict that occurs. But in World Gone Mad, it spans 2020. So it's Black Lives Matter. And I had opportunity to write persona pieces for Taylor like I did in Summer Tour. So that was kind of cool, too. And I was able to set Taylor in a rally in Maywood, Ohio, and she wrote a poem for Black Lives Matter. And she is the one who went to Dayton, and she's experiences being stopped driving while Black. And it makes her question everything that it is to be Black. She's always wanted to go to Kenyon College. She was raised in a predominantly white neighborhood, purposely. And, um, you know, so those are a lot of issues. And those are psychological as well as societal issues that my character dealt with. Now, in order to write those scenes of Taylor's family and her little brothers and uh, the Driving While Black incident, particularly, I relied on Tamika and Tiffany, the first two girls that I ever mentored way back in the day and mentoring them inspired me to become a teacher and uh, I've known them for 30 years. So uh, there were endless Zoom calls like this where, or, you know, uh, conferences uh, where I'd send them manuscripts and I, I sent them the, the stopping and then and, and Tiffany let me have it. She's, you know, stop, stop right there. And I was like, what? I didn't even get to the part. She's like, do you want to get it right? And by the time I got to the end of the scene and I've been teaching in Title I schools for 25 years. I, I don't know. I don't know what it is to be black. I do not know at all. I was throwing my pencil across the room and telling my husband, you just open your pockets. We've got to flood as much as we can until it hurts because this is a serious issue in our country. And I had opportunity to lend my voice to, to it as well. Thank you, Elizabeth. It's just like so inspiring. I mean, there's so much going on in both of these novels. Like I feel like on the surface, you know, it's just like, oh, a fun summer read, you know, about these kids that are on fish tour. And yet there's so much underneath that surface that really dives in. And just to hear your process and, you know, your own personal process and then also being with other people's processes, like it's just really beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. I, yeah, just on social media the other day, I saw somebody mention summer tour and the girl said, it's a cute book. You know, I smiled. I, I take that as a compliment. It is a cute book. 
if you want it to be a cute book, you know, mm. you're going to be really sad with World Gone. That ain't so cute. But, <laughs> <laughs> but <To> no. be <laughs> prepared. <laughs> you know, you want to balance. You know, I mean, and I, I want summer tour is a celebration. It is. I dance. So bef- when the kids would go to a show, I knew that was the chapter I had to read. So what do you think I was walking to that show? You know, I was plugging in and listening to every single solitary note. And then streaming as much as possible to watch every single solitary thing and taking copious notes so that I got every little detail as best as I could, even if I wasn't at that particular show. Yeah, I could feel the way you talk about these characters. Like you said, it's like, I feel like they're real people and I'm like so looking forward to getting to know them and, and diving into all of the things and caring about them and crying with them and well, and they have birthdays. I, I Celebrating I do, with them. <laughs> yeah, I do deep character sketches. So I know everybody's birthday. I know uh, their favorite foods. You know, Alex was a vegan for a while and he had to give that up because he swims too much and exercises in his body. He's such a, he's a young boy. He needed more protein. Plus, I wanted them to go to Skyline Chili and work on that. <laughs> 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 um, I am currently writing the third book of the trilogy. Right now, the working title is called Eyes of the World, and it's Aunt Karen's story, and it's set in 1979. It's the year that Aunt Karen's family leaves the commune Willow Grove in upstate New York and settles in what will become the Calico House in 1979, which is just a white Dutch colonial. And um, it tells the whole origin story of Sam's old mother, Maggie, the older sister, and then Aunt Karen, the younger sister. And I have been having a blast floating in 1979. <laughs> 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 I listen to nonstop Super Tramp. It's so much fun. I, um, you know, I go on the, the interwebs and, and, you know, I put up, hey, you guys remember crank phone calls, prank calls? What do you got? <laughs> you know, the, this stuff that these people come up with is better than anything you can Google. Seriously. <laughs> I mean, we're talking, terribly. there's these things called rotary dial phones. Yeah, I, I used to have a rotary <laughs> dial phone. I remember. <laughs> and windy cords, you know, and all of that. So, um, you know, the, the, the 1980s seems so glittery. Now, in in, in that book, I had to do accurate research, too. So K- Karen and her family go to the Cleveland Grateful Dead show November 29th, 1979. I know the weather. I know what street they parked on. And then there was this big controversy in the Grateful Dead world of like, okay, they said in all of the set lists there was a not fadeaway. But if you listen, there's no not fadeaway. It goes right into Black Peter. And and then they played a Samson and Delilah. That was a Thursday night. Did they always play Samson and Delilah on Sunday nights? They did in 1979. So when did it become a Sunday night show? Pew! Oh, my gosh. Deadheads love their stats. These guys are badass mathematicians. They were like creating charts and graphs. <laughs> it's just so much fun. It just really is fun. Hmm. Where are you tapping into that community? I know you got, you tapped in a lot to Fish Chicks when you were writing Summer Tour. Right, yeah. The Grateful Dead, the 1980s veterans are awesome. Yeah. Um, And those are my peeps because my first Grateful Dead show was 1986. So I'm down with them. Um, They're super cool. You know, the Women and Deadhead Women United are awesome. Yeah, I'm in that group. um, Yeah, so I, I find a lot of, they're the ones who give me all the funny details about the fashion and the Teen Beat magazines and Bonnie Bell lip smackers and just, you know, all that great stuff. I mean, I was 11 years old. I made Karen my age from the very beginning. 
I didn't know I was going to go and do her backstory as the end of the trilogy, but it worked out great because I was in sixth grade. I was 11 years old and that's what I was doing in 1979. Mm-hmm. So, you know, at least I can evoke my own experiences to stay as authentic as possible with that story too. Yeah. You know, I've been curious about this since you mentioned it and it just keeps coming back to me. So I'm going to ask you when you handed Trey that love letter, I'm what could you speak to any of the, what you wrote in it that he his oh, impact yeah. that he had on you? Uh, I absolutely. I to, I shared with him that how grateful I was. I found fish I stumbled into fish. My friends were into it, into fish. You know, I was still heavy duty Grateful Dead. But I love extemporaneous jazz and um, listen to a lot of Coltrane and uh, Miles Davis. And I had just seen Straight No Chaser, which was a documentary on Thelonious Monk. And it really inspired my love of extemporaneous, you know, jazz. So that is what hooked me in. And again, I, I explained to him just how his music has been so complicated that it, it, it really gives me that space and time. And then I have traveled with my husband. I was in Cincinnati, Ohio forever teaching and living you know, my life with my community there. And my husband's career had taken us to Indiana and Illinois and now to Kentucky. And you know, I always had fish with me and, and, and felt comforted. And, uh, you know, I work out to him and I gave birth to him. And it's just, it's an integral part of my existence. The music is important to me and it's relevant and it's, it's spiritual and it's also part of my spiritual practices. So um, I personally find my deepest prayer to be in moments when I'm completely connected to music and dancing. I feel that that's my tribute to, to God or my gratitude for life. And I feel that we tap into the divine energy of the universe. And there's all these strange alchemy, magical things that happen with specifically fish that I've never experienced in any other way. And I think it it bears mentioning and commenting and and recording and archiving, not just the music, but the experiences and the connections. And I mean, walk the lot. As soon as we can walk the lot, women, we'll walk the lot and just ask one person. So tell me one connection story about fish. And I guarantee they'll have some story, some magical story, something weird has happened somewhere that just went and you're like, Oh, the universe is speaking. All right. I'm going to listen. Can you share one that stands out for you? A magic alchemy story. Great Uh, question. (laughs) Oh, I guess. I mean, there's so many of them in the, the book, I mean, certainly not the seven foot woman and the eight foot man, but no. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's kind of a, a, an annoyance story. <laughs> yeah. You got to tell, you, you know, you got to include that kind of stuff. So it's not all, you know, bubblegum and rainbows and yeah. particularly in the fish community. That was what we deadheads really complained about at the very beginning. You know, it was just there's an edge. There's mm-hmm. an edge. But I, I kind of appreciate that edge. I think there's an authenticity to that. Mm-hmm. At least it's real and you know where you stand. Yeah. So that's kind of good too. But, you know, I wanted to bring in that Cosmic Charlie character to evoke the whole Gurney Norman, Ed McClanahan, Ken Kesey generation of, of, of hippies. And, you know, the moment where he gives Sam the copy of Divine Rights Trip, then Sam goes to holler and lo and behold, it's Gurney Norman and Ed McClanahan who have driven from Lexington to Maywood. It's only a three hour drive. You know, Maywood doesn't exist. This is, a, I've made this town up, but I'm an Ohioan, so I can do that. And then, you know, and he's like freaking out because how could it possibly have happened? 
And then he doesn't even question a couple shows later that he runs right into Cosmic Charlie again to return the book. Mm-hmm. By then he's like surrendered to the flow. Mm-hmm. Like that's where he gets it. That's where he understands it. That's where the movement is. Yes. That fills me with chills and good feelings. And I can't wait to get back to that flow. I'm worried. I'm worried about the scene opening up. I told my husband, it's going to be amazing and awful and awesome and everything in between. I both want to be exactly there and not there at all. (laughs) You know, it's Mm -hmm. worrisome. You know, I picture what it'll be like at Deer Creek. That's my sacred stomping grounds and um, the venue I can most easily access, of course. So I, I, you know, I wonder what that chaos is going to be like. It's going to be, you know, way more intense, I think. Mm-hmm. But I'm praying that everybody can keep it peaceful and keep it together, too. You know, I think that's going to be really important. Well, after the flu, the 1918 flu was the Roaring Twenties. And so I feel like that's like what's going to happen again, like bathtub gin and flapper dresses and feathers and dancing in the streets. I talk about exactly that in World Got Mad. Yeah, that prohibition. detail. Yep. The Roaring Twenties. And it's weird, too, Terry. I mean, as an, uh, an English teacher, I, I teach history quite a bit, right? We don't teach in a vacuum. And I would talk about the Roaring Twenties, but I always talked about it in relationship to the stock market crash and prohibition. I, it never occurred to me what it was like to live through a pandemic until we experienced it. So I'm kind of laughing at all of my undergrad Shakespeare professors who were absolutely convinced there was no way Shakespeare did, could, could have written all of those plays. Okay, listen, sisters, if you were stuck in Stratford-upon-Avon for five years, five years, the London theaters were closed, no technology, no social media, no distractions, no city, nothing to do. Yeah, Shakespeare wrote all of that. (laughs) I wrote 200,000 words in the past year. I mean, and I'm no Shakespeare at all. But I mean, you know, it's remarkable how even an educated teacher until you experience it, right? And we're, we always teach that, right? With parenting and everything else. Well, the kids have to experience the failure in order to, you know. No, they're not kidding. You have to, you don't understand what it's like to live in a pandemic. To be, We've been in strict quarantine. My son has blood disorders and is immune compromised. So we had to pull him out of the dorms and he's had to be home with old mom and dad. Although I am laughing because he's probably one of the rare te- teenagers in the world who yells mom and dad to yell down your turn down you know yells to turn down the music (laughs) versus the other way (laughs) because when we when we do shows I mean when we stream shows I've worn a hole in my my carpet the area rug in my living room (laughs) and then speaking of which women when's the when's the next what do we got we've got stuff coming up something right dinner and a movie at least I mean yeah was that just a one-off I, I can't always make Tuesdays but like did they just come back for one time am I missing Tuesdays I thought it was resuming monthly so let's keep our fingers monthly crossed. okay yes. that will happen uh, our bodies need it as well as our minds our absolutely yeah every cell of me <laughs> needs it yeah, yeah. Well, Elizabeth, any last words that you'd like to leave your your readers or our listeners? I, I just want to thank you for inviting me on here and the fact that, you know, you're validating what I feel I've always instinctually known in my heart to be healing, uh, that, you know, that you're actually discussing this and, and, and the healing power of music and, and community 
and, and how valid that is to our healing journey. So thank you. And thank you for sharing space with me today. Yeah, so thank you welcome. so much for being here. And that's why I'm here too, because I was, I'm the same as you where I'm like, live music is so important to me for so many reasons. And then Leah's like, yeah, and this is why. And I felt so validated. So I'm here for the same reason as you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Elizabeth, for, you know, just giving us, like you said, the literature that we can see ourselves in. That is so important. And I, I can't believe that it's taken this long. And um, I, I just love the way that you work with your characters. And I can't wait to read World Gone Mad and uh, and the third book, too, that's coming out. When yeah. is the third book coming out? Have you said? Do you know? Mm, I'm, I'm, I'm writing. I, I can't jinx it. I, but I will say I'm about... I'm about 40,000 words in. So that's a really lovely place for a writer. It means it, it's, it, it, the story's taken hold. So mm-hmm. it's a matter of um, showing up, showing up, being present. Yeah. Well, you've <laughs> certainly been in the flow. I mean, I know World Gone Mad just came out this month. So right. this is, yes. yeah. It's so we all. Valentine's Day to continue the love of <laughs> Sam and Claire. Oh, I'm so looking <laughs> forward to like getting to know them and like, <laughs> being in love with their love and aunt Karen, like she just sounds like someone I want to hang out with all the time. <laughs> I'm just oh, so excited to get it. to know right, everyone. Well, let me know. Let me know when you read it. I want to hear. I will. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank all you. Right. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. And I hope that everybody will take some time right now to go to Amazon and look up either summer tour or world gone mad And go ahead and put those in your cart or press the purchase now button so that you can dive into these adventures with Claire and Sam and all of their friends and support Elizabeth and fiction for our scene and really just dive in to this beautiful story and uh, feel the love and the healing that happens from it. So thank you so much and we will be right back. And we're back. Wow, what an interesting conversation and what an interesting woman. And that was just so wonderful. What was your favorite part? Not to put you on the spot or anything. (laughs) (laughs) You know, my favorite part was really watching and listening to Elizabeth talk about the characters. I just found that so fascinating how they were just so well developed in her mind and they really took a life of their own and her talking about how, you know, like as soon as she had finished writing Summer Tour, she was ready to continue with World Gone Mad because like she just had they just had to keep living on. And I've heard that that happens to writers, but I've never actually witnessed it and I just loved being able to witness it. So I don't know, that just really struck me. And I I love to see that. Yeah, that definitely struck me too. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I have more to say about that, but I was just struck. Yeah, it was striking. Yes. What also struck me though, which is why I decided to highlight it in the... Did you know? When Elizabeth talked about how you know the live music there was it was so complicated that there wasn't any way that she could think about anything else and i i love that and actually her talking about it that way was a different take than 
how I saw it before, because when I was doing my research, I would have other people that would share with me the same experience that they were just like really brought into the present moment and that they were actually receiving the same benefit through that as they would through something like meditation, which is something that Elizabeth talked about too. And I always thought that it was because it was the live music experience, right? And so it's like, you know, there's the sights, the sounds, the smells, the feels of the vibrations of the music. And so I felt like, well, the whole body is being taken into the moment with all of that. But when Elizabeth was talking, she was even talking about it happening through streams too. And just through the complicatedness, the complexity of the music of fish, how it it will just work your brain. And even without taking psychedelics or anything like that can help to clear out those cobwebs, as she was saying. So I just wanted to read one of the descriptions from one of my uh, research participants that talked about this same thing. And her name was Rose, which is a pseudo name, but that's what I called her. And she said, dancing and the music is moving meditation. I am just with the notes and my monkey brain isn't going. It's quiet time, just feeling the music. The music puts you in the moment. I feel the chords being in the moment right now. That is what it is about. And for Rose in particular, she was a person who talked a lot about her monkey mind and how she was always thinking. And for her, meditation was a really difficult thing to do. And, you know, to try and sit and be silent, which of course is not object of meditation, but people do find it really difficult when their thoughts are bouncing back and forth and back and forth. It's like, it's really unnerving to try and sit there and to find that spaciousness within that or to even observe that happening. But they're able to experience that same thing through the music of, say, some band like Fish or another band similar to them. And to have those same therapeutic effects happen through a different way. So I love that as an option. Yes, that's so interesting. And I can relate so much to Rose. And yeah, so for my section... Daily Jam. I'm going to give you a way to put that into practice in your life on a daily basis when you aren't able to go to a live music show or experience a stream or even listen to music. So lately, I realized that there was a connection with this because I've been, I live in Burlington, Vermont, and it is winter, and I've been jumping in Lake Champlain in 30 degree water. And when I jump in the water, I cannot think of anything else, like, besides that I am in freezing cold water. And it it kind of gives me that, that same feeling that Leah was talking about of, like, you can't think of anything else and your monkey mind is quiet. And it's very zen-like and very relaxing, and it is a form of meditation. So I know that not all of you, and it depends on what time of year this is that you're listening to us right now as well, because it might be summertime and where you are, the lake might not be frozen or you might not even live by a lake. So wherever you are, if you can jump in a lake, make sure you bring friends and try that. You can also take a shower and put the water as cold as you can and try to stay in there for at least 30 seconds. You won't be able to think of anything else besides (laughs) that you are in a freezing cold shower. And I don't know if there's other ways that you can do this, but 
if there are other things in that you can think of, like, please let us know. You can um, let us know on our Instagram or in the Groove Therapy podcast community. I would love to hear other ways to like shut my brain off where I'm doing something where I'm not thinking of anything else. So please let me know what that is. But that's your challenge. So you're either going to be jumping in a lake, taking a freezing cold shower. You could also like take off your shoes and stand in the snow. Um, <laughs> there's probably like other things I would love to hear from you of what they are. Yeah, and find those moments of quiet when that monkey mind is just forced into the present moment and you can begin to receive the benefits of meditation that have been highly documented and maybe we'll talk about those on another podcast episode. Yes, so it's science, yo. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we are part of the Osiris Podcast Network and there are so many incredible podcasts that are a part of this network and a new one is Undermine and Undermined um, or the Origins is their first episode and it's very exciting. Um, so it combines the former podcasts of Under the Scales, Helping Friendly Podcasts and Beyond the Pond and it's a new weekly show. And so they talk about the deep history of the band, which is Fish, through interviews, in-depth analysis of the band's music, and they look at a broad, at broader musical themes and influences. So season one is focusing on the early years, and it's super interesting, and so definitely give it a listen. And they say that 1.0 vets and 4.0 noobs will all learn something new. So there's something for everyone in Undermine. So I definitely recommend that you give it a chance. Yeah, definitely go check that out. I'm really looking forward to diving in. And I love that they're kind of starting from the beginning and uh, and going through the band's history. And there's a ton of other really cool podcasts on Osiris Pod. So definitely check those out at osirispod.com. Yeah, and check out Female Centrics too, because Female Centrics is the only female hosted um, fish podcast. And Dawn is actually the host, Donnie B. She's one of the reasons that we have a podcast today. And so we're so grateful for her and check out her podcast. Um, she's also going to be on Undermind a couple of times. And um, I forget her exact title, but she definitely has a part of, of that coming to fruition. So check her out. She is a powerhouse of a woman and her podcast is amazing. Yes, absolutely. And Elizabeth Beck was also on Female Centric. So if you want to find out more about Elizabeth Beck and hear more about her, then you can listen to that episode too. And they go into uh, also talking about the Beacon Jams that Trey was doing. So it's fun. Donnie Donnie B and a friend, I can't remember her name, and Elizabeth Beck dive into just talking about Trey and how cool he is. <laughs> He's the coolest. <laughs> we all love Trey. So we would love it if you feel called. No pressure. We're not going to beat you up if you don't do it. But if you want to and you're willing, we would love it if you headed over to Apple Podcasts and left us a review um, and some stars. Hopefully five, but you know. Any kind of stars that you feel right about, we're cool with. And we promised on our last episode that we would read some new reviews on the air, and we've got some. So Dr. Leah Taylor is going to read them to you. And then if you leave a review, maybe you'll be famous like these people. (laughs) Yes. So we have a couple of new reviews. And the first one is from CY. So I'm assuming those are initials. And CY says, great music pod. All the Osiris stuff is awesome. So thank you, CY. And then we have Alexandria L. 
And I say that because there's an, a W mixed in in Alexandra. <laughs> and she says, or he says, whoever that person is, says, I so appreciate you ladies and this podcast. These conversations are addressing and expanding on so many of things I'm thinking about all the time in my own head. Rock on. Yay. Yay. Thank you. We love you so much and we appreciate every word. If you want to connect with us, um, please do so on Facebook at the Groove Therapy Podcast Community and also follow us on Instagram. We're Groove Therapy Podcast there. Yes, please do leave us some reviews or rating on Apple Pod. Follow us on Spotify. The more you do that, the more people will find out about us and the more we can spread the word about live music and health and wellness and living a happy and healthy life, which is what I know all of us want to do. Woohoo! And then we can see shows for a longer amount of time, which is really the goal, right? <laughs> That's right. That's why we're doing this. Yes. yes. <laughs> That's why I I put kale in my smoothies so I can see music longer. (laughs) So thank you, everybody, for being a part of our community. We appreciate you so much. All right. Have an amazing day, everyone, and we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.